Today I'm going to switch things up a little bit. And I want to jump right into it. And I want to let you know that I'm going to end this morning and I want to give you a chance to respond. At the end of this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. So, so far this year, we've been looking at Jesus and who he is. And we've talked about how Jesus is your friend and Jesus is grace and Jesus is the God of the broken and Jesus is the story and Jesus is the point and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And last week, I talked about how it's possible to have joy even when stuff sucks and that Jesus is here. And so as we continue looking at the person of Jesus, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I love movies. I love movies. I love them. My dad and I just this weekend went to see Black Adam, which was fantastic. It was fun. I don't like just go. It was so good. I love movies. I love them. In fact, I have times when I think that like part of my brain, like I've watched so many movies that I have a movie for a brain. Have you ever been in a conversation someone will say something and your brain fills in with like a movie quote? Like you speak in movie quotes or TV quote? Like that's like how my brain works. And there are certain movies that I've seen so many times that I can quote them in their entirety. If I watch them with my family, my wife Suzanne's like, just don't. Just shut up. It's not cool. The rest of us are trying to watch the movie. We are not impressed that you can show all of the Princess Bride like from your brain. So if you know me at all, and I've talked about this a little before, if you know me at all, you know that my favorite movies are what? Back to the Future. These are the greatest movies in the history of movies. If you've never seen them, I'll pray for you, um, and that's your homework. I'll give, you, I'll give you 85 chapel touch points if you watch these movies. Um, it's too bad touch points don't exist anymore. Along with Back to the Future, there are some other movies that I know pretty much by heart. Here's some examples of like some movies. Here's the deal. When I was in high school, we didn't have like, like memes, like, we couldn't share memes. We had to live for, like, four years on, like, one Billy Madison quote. Like, that's all, that's all we had. Like, I know these movies. There is this realization this morning as I was sort of looking through this that for most of you in this room, <laughs> none of you were alive when any of those movies were in theaters. And that does not make me feel old at all. Well, I, lo I love Love Tommy Boy. I once had an argument with a high school student about he was trying to argue with me that the movie Hot Rod was funnier than Tommy Boy, and I was like, "You're you're wrong and stupid." And I was really mature. I was like, "You're dumb." Have you ever seen Tommy Boy? Like, just what? Tom, these movies are amazing. They're amazing. I and so being a movie lover. I thought it would be kind of fun this morning to book in today's time together with a couple of movie clips. So here's the first one. How many of you have seen this movie? Sixth Sense? All right. If you've never seen The Sixth Sense, then you, you should. <laughs> it's really hard like, to talk about it and not ruin the whole movie, but I'm going to do my best. So there's this little kid, and he sees dead people, and Bruce Willis is in it. And that's really all I can tell you. Um, so you should see, um, you should see Sixth Sense. Uh, so I want you, that clip, uh, I see dead people, 
I see them all the time. They walk around like regular people. They don't know they're dead. I want you to keep that kind of in mind. And I want you to look with me at Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter. It's written by one of the first Christians, a guy named Paul. And Paul's writing to this first group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. And he says this. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedience. Disobedient, excuse me. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. I want to stop there. Again, in the clip that we watched, the kid says, I see dead people. And remember, after he says this, he says they don't know they're dead. They walk around if everything is fine. They walk around like regular people. This is the same thing that this guy Paul is saying. He's saying you were dead in your transgressions. So before you came to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, before you came to embrace this new kind of life, this life to the fullest that Jesus offers you, you were dead. You were dead because of your sin. You were dead and headed for an eternity in hell, and you didn't know it. See, dead people. And the truth is, is that for me as a pastor who works with college students, I move around campus, and if I'm honest, what breaks my heart what keeps me up at night, what hurts and discourages me the most is I see dead people who don't know they're dead. I see people, some of whom are in this room, who don't know Jesus. You don't know that there's a God who loves you and desperately wants a relationship with you, a God who wants you to put your trust, all of it, in Jesus. I see dead people. I see people bound for eternal separation from God, and they don't even know they're dead. Paul says you were dead in transgressions and sins. But if you're following Jesus, he says this is no longer you. Paul says that you used to live one way when you followed like the world, but now you live a different kind of way if you're following Jesus. Back in the spring of the year 2000, as a 19-year-old college student, I did an internship in Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. I was part of the Disney College program, and I have a degree to prove it. It sits on my wall. It looks just like that. Donald and Mickey signed it. Be jealous. But I did this internship in Disney World, and I remember, I remember driving home from that internship. So I spent like this whole semester in Disney World uh, working, and if you ever want to hear what that was like, I'd love to tell you. But I remember leaving and driving home, and I'm from Illinois. So I left Illinois and drove to Orlando, and then four months later, drove home. But here's the deal. This was in the year 2000. Let me tell you what wasn't invented yet, or what wasn't adequately used yet, was GPS. So back in the early 2000, 
Um, you had to either print off directions from the internet like a caveman, or you had to use this thing called an atlas. And it was like this book that contained all of these maps, and so you had to like open up the atlas and figure out how you were going to get from Illinois to Orlando. Well, I had done this successfully in like January. So in May, I was like, I don't need to look at the map. I just need to reverse what I did four months ago. And I have a really good memory, so I'm going to be fine. Here's what I remember. I remember, those of you that have driven this area, like I-75, I was on I-75 south for a really long time driving to Orlando. And somewhere in my brain, I thought I remembered that I-75 took me right from Illinois all the way down to Orlando. So I should just stay. All I have to do is remember one road, I-75, and I'll be fine. So that's what I did. Those of you that know anything about geography or interstates around the Florida area, you know that I'm wrong. So I'm driving home. I also had this idea that I was going to surprise my parents and not tell them I was leaving. So I like, because when you're like 20, you do smart things. So I left at like, it's a 22-hour drive from my house in Illinois. I was going to drive it straight through. Because when you're 20, you do smart things. And it's okay, because I have ADD. And because I have ADD when I was 20, I still had a Ritalin prescription. This gets better. I had speed and I had Mountain Dew. I can drive 20 hours straight on speed and Mountain Dew. It'll be fine. All good decisions. Didn't know Jesus yet, for the record. All good decisions. So I leave, and I'm on I-75, and around like Kentucky, I started to feel like I had made an error so I pulled off at a rest area because rest areas also had interstate maps. And I walked into this rest area, and I'm looking at this map that's hanging on the wall outside the restrooms, and I notice that I have indeed made a bit of an error. I've been driving the wrong direction for five hours. I'm now five hours far. Like, what's going to happen is if I stay on I-75 going north, does anybody know what state I'd end up in? Ohio is the answer. I was really close to the border of Ohio. Where do I want to be? Illinois. Like Indiana's in between them. Like they're not even, like there's all, I'm a whole, like it's bad. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do? I've now, I've extended some, some time onto my trip. I'm high. I'm tired. How do I get home? I've driven five hours in the wrong direction. You, you have to understand, no matter how much I believed I was on the right path, I was confident I was headed in the right direction that that road was going to lead me to Mattoon, Illinois. I was confident. No matter how much I believed it, that didn't change the fact that I was going to end up in Ohio if I didn't change course. I believed it. I believed it with my whole self. I was acting on what I believed. I believed that was the right path. Didn't change the fact that it was the wrong one. This is the same thing that Paul says in these verses. He says, we live in a room. We live in a room. We live in a world where human beings, when we're left to ourselves, 
we're not only going to choose the wrong direction, but we're going to be confident that it's the right one. And we say stuff like, I'm a good person. Look, I haven't, I haven't done anything that bad. My favorite is this one. I believe in God. Cool. You know who else believes in God? Demons. It doesn't put you in the right category just to say, I believe. You may really believe what you're saying. You may really believe that you're on the right path. But the problem is, no matter how much you believe you're on the right path, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not giving him all of yourself, you're headed for destruction. It doesn't matter how much you believe it. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You guys with me? Are we tracking? All right, let's keep going. Chapter 2, picking up at verse 4. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richness of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For again, he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now in these verses, there are, there are a few words and phrases I simply want to point out. Rich in mercy. Alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I wanna, let me talk about mercy for a little bit. Because I, I, I started to really understand mercy when our son was younger and he engaged in the rite of passage known as T-ball. Any T-ball alumni, t people that have retired from their T-ball career, like you know what T-ball is? Yeah. If you don't know how T-ball works, I, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Um, T-ball is like baseball, but not. Like there's a stationary rubber T. And I, it's really like, I would tell my wife it was like amoeba ball because wherever the ball went on the field, like 70 little kids would just chase it. Like there's no order to it. And there's no outfielders in T-ball. Well, there's like outfielders for like two minutes, but then there's like no one's going to hit it out here. So they like move in. And the game of T-ball... In case you're like you haven't done this recently, if you don't know this, the game of T-ball lasts three innings or one hour, whichever comes first, and then they just call it. And every kid gets up to bat every inning. And in T-ball, there are no strikeouts. And for me, it's flipping torture. Like I'd watch it. And I'm like, are you serious? How many swings does this kid get? It's like the eighth swing and the parents are there with their phones like, good job, Johnny. And I'm like, no, this kid sucks. Like, make him sit down. Like, Pujols, he is not. Like, he is not good. Like, he didn't even hit the, he didn't even hit the rubber tee and it's three feet in front of him. How are you missing everything? Why are we celebrating this? And then on like the 50,000th swing, the kid manages to brush the bottom of the tee and the ball falls off and the coach is like, run! Oh. And there was these moments when I was watching Isaac play t-ball. I'm like, I hate this. 
And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if this is how God looks at us. Because we get one strike, and then another, and another, and another. And everybody's saying, I can't believe this guy's still alive. I can't believe that God is still with this guy. He's had chance after chance after chance. The dude's out. And God, who's rich in mercy, picks up the ball and says, swing again. Just swing again. Swing again. Swing again. Meanwhile, there are people watching us. And they're shaking their heads, saying, that guy's go- he's out. He's gone. She's gone. She's out. And God says, they're not out until I say they're out. And the passage we read says that, that not only is God rich in mercy, swing after swing after swing after swing, but it also says that he has great love. And I love the phrase great love because for me, like I love a few people in the world, but my love is far from great. I love you. I care for you deeply, but there have been moments when you don't feel that from me recently. I love, but my love is far from great. It's limited and it falters and it's often a bit selfish. But God loves the world. This God who has all these layers of of mercy and love. This God who who seeks out people who are dead and they don't even know they're dead. And he brings them to life, not because of anything they've done. Not because of anything that they've done, but simply because he's full of mercy and love. Some of us think that God loves us because we have like potential. Like, we'll, 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 like, he'll look at how bad we are, but God will, like, save us because he's like, look, someday they're going to amount to something. He might be a punk kid now who's high on ADHD meds driving the wrong d- direction, but someday I'm going to change his life. He has, no. Like, that sounds spiritual. It sounds right. But God doesn't save us because we have potential. We, we do have potential. Don't hear me. But God doesn't rescue us from the death of sin just so we can like help him out later. God doesn't need our help. He simply wants to love us. He wants to be loved by us. God saw dead people. He saw people dead in our sins and he just couldn't sit still because he's rich in mercy and in his mercy, in his great love, he provided a way to bring us back to life. That's why he sent Jesus. Now, I said I would bookend today's message with two different movie clips from two different movies. In the 1900s, 1994 to be exact, In 1994, a movie called The Shawshank Redemption, starring Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, was released. It follows the story of a convict who is wrongly accused for killing his wife and the person he caught his wife having an affair with. And so you get to follow this guy as he goes to serve two consecutive life sentences in prison. Here, watch the trailer. You better get busy living, get busy dying. This mantra of this character in the Shawshank Redemption is the same thing that Paul is saying in these verses. Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is alive and Jesus invites us to live as well. Do you see, I know it sounds weird, but hear me. Do you see dead people? As you walk around campus, as you go throughout a typical week, how many dead people do you interact with? Or maybe you're here this morning and the truth is perhaps you have a choice to make. Get busy living or get busy dying. Maybe you're dead and you don't realize it. Maybe you're dead and don't realize it. But I would invite you maybe for the first time to trust Jesus. Get busy living. You have a choice to make. For others of you, you know Jesus. But you're surrounded on this campus by people who don't. They're dead and they don't even know it. What's it going to take for you to tell them? I mean, how much do you have to hate someone to not want to tell them the best news ever? How much do you have to not care about someone to not want to tell them that there's a God who loves them and a Jesus who died? How much do you have to not care about someone to stay silent? There are people who are dead around you and they don't even know it. What's it going to take for you to get busy living? My heart for this campus is to trust that Jesus really is as good as he says he is. So I'm offering an invitation this morning to stop dying and to start living. That some of you are dead and you don't even know it. That the life you're living is headed for destruction. And I promise you there's a better way. That Jesus' invitation is a life to the fullest and it's abundant life. It's the best possible kind of life. Jesus is alive and he's inviting you to really live, to trust him today as your Lord and as your Savior. So maybe you're in that place this morning. And if that's you, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. In a moment, I'm going to invite us all to stand and we're going to spend a little bit of time singing. If while we're standing, if you need prayer, there are some people here who would love to pray for you. If you are here this morning and you are faculty, staff, coaches, whoever, and you would be willing to pray for these students here, I would invite you during this time to like move to these outside walls. You can come down front. We've removed this gate here, so there's plenty of space to spread out. If you're here this morning, and maybe this morning for you is this, I'm tired, tired of trying to do it my way. It's not working. Maybe it's this realization that I'm dead and I didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know there was this whole other thing out there. I just didn't know. Whatever it is I wanted. And I would invite you to find faculty or staff or a coach who's here. I'm going to pray with you this morning. So we'll spend some time singing then I'll come up and close out our time. But if during this time you need prayer, know that there's people who would love to pray for you. Would you stand with me? So God, as we, as we sing, as we reflect on the words that are on the screen, maybe if we don't even sing, but if we just read them, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, if there are people here who need 
prayer, if they need to take that next step, whatever it is, Father, I pray that they wouldn't wait, that they wouldn't, that it wouldn't be about the people around them, or it would be about them and what you are speaking to their hearts this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do something for me as we close right now. I want you to, everyone to close your eyes. Just wherever you're at, close your eyes. And then if you're willing, I want you to hold your hands out in front of you like you're like I want to give you something, like you're about to receive something. So if you're willing to do that, hold your hands in front of you like, like somebody's going to put something into it because I want you to receive these words. I want you to receive this benediction this morning, this sending. So receive this. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you with a love that has no beginning, no end. It's a love that you don't have to earn. and You can never lose. When you, whether you feel like a success or a failure, he loves you. Whether you feel alone or surrounded by people, he loves you. Whether you feel righteous or guilty, he loves you. He loves you enough to send his son to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised for you. Even right now, Jesus is before the Father speaking words of love on your behalf. He will return to renew you and the whole world because he loves you. This is the most true thing about you. It's the first fact of your existence. You are loved by God. Before anything else can be said about you, this must be said. God loves you. That will never change. So don't forget it. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great rest of your week.